Imagine you were a detective in one of your favorite true crime shows or a CSI show. You're a detective, you walk into a crime scene and you're trying to figure out what happened. Now, as a detective, you don't know all the information. You weren't there, you didn't witness the actual crime, but you have clues. You can look at the carpet fibers and you can send it off to forensics. You can walk the grid and see you know, what was left around the crime scene. You can investigate or interview the witnesses, interview the neighbors, see what they heard, see what they saw. And from that, a good detective can make a educated guess and actually even solve a crime. Well, my personal philosophy when it comes to Bible study is what I like to call forensic exegesis. And it is a mix between deep Bible study and your favorite CSI show. What I mean by that is this, exegesis, that's a really big fancy church word for reading something out of the text that is compared to eisegesis. So exegesis is what does the text say? And eisegesis is more, you know, uh, here's what I believe. Let me go see if I can find a Bible verse to back it up. So I think most, you know, pastors and, and theologians would say, no, they believe in exegesis, but I want to take it one level further which is why I call it forensic exegesis. So it's not just enough to read the text. I want to read everything around the text. I want to walk the grid of the text. I want to interview the neighbors, and I want to look at the context of that biblical author and the world that that biblical author lived in. But I also want to get down into the carpet fibers and look at the uh, the, the Greek words themselves, particularly, you know, I'm fascinated with the New Testament. So let me give you a perfect example of what biblical exegesis is when I was doing some research on, you know, what a the original discipleship model of the church was, I kept getting fixated on Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And I looked at the carpet fibers, that word, they devoted themselves. That was Luke, the author of Acts, giving us a clue, like these were the four pillars. These were the four foundations of the earliest church. And I looked at the context. I walked the grid. The verse right before Acts 2.42 is when 3,000 people got saved. 3,000 people were baptized. The earliest church was born. And I believe, and I see it's, a, it's an educated guess, but I don't think it's a leap. Between verse 41 and 42, the disciples had to have an intentional conversation about how do we disciple these brand new believers? And I believe Luke records that in Acts 2.42, and it was the apostles' teaching and fellowship, breaking of bread, and a prayer. Now, an example of eisegesis would be, oh, well, I know what fellowship is because we have a fellowship hall. Or I know what the apostles' teaching is. It's the Bible. And I know what prayer is because I pray all the time. It's taking what we understand and superimposing it back onto the text. But I believe exegesis is, let, let's, let's see why Luke used the phrase apostles teaching and he didn't use the word for scripture or he didn't use the word for word or he didn't even use the word for book, biblos, which we transliterate into Bible. And is the way that they understood fellowship the same way that we understand fellowship. So that's not just enough to say, here's my modern definition of fellowship. It must not have changed over the last 2000 years, but rather let's take that word koinonia 
And let's look at all the other instances in the New Testament where that particular word is used and see if we can get a better idea of how they understood koinonia. So that's a, an example of forensic exegesis. But the, even for me, it, it took one step further because there is a simple question and a good detective will ask questions. What's the motive? You know, if you got a suspect, if you got an idea, well, what's their motive? Does it make sense? Why would they commit this crime? Why would they do this? So for me, the question that I kept getting stuck on is, where did the disciples get these four things? Apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. I mean, what was it? There were no books for them to read about. There were no conferences for them to go to. There was no discipleship for the material for them to follow because the church was a day old. I mean, did they have an offsite and each one of the 12 disciples brought one good idea each and they voted on the top four? I mean, what does it mean that they devoted themselves to these four things? And more importantly, where do I think they got them? So in my study, that led me back to John chapter 14 through 17, which records the last teaching that Jesus gave his disciples on the night that he was arrested. And for me, that's when the dots began to connect because you will see elements of the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer littered all throughout that teaching, which is centered on the Holy Spirit. But it had these four elements as well. And I believe that when Jesus says that the climax of that entire passage is John chapter 15, remain in me, remain in me. If you remain in me and I remain in you or some translations you might see, abide in me. If you abide in me and if I abide in you, I believe that these four practices were how the disciples tried to abide in Jesus and remain in the power of the Spirit. And I believe that they got these four things from Jesus' teaching, which for them would have just been a few weeks ago, and it was the last thing that Jesus taught them. So in reality, I think it's actually simple. They were doing the last thing that Jesus told them. So that experience with forensic exegesis really changed my eye idea and my perspective on the New Testament, on the earliest church, and it's kind of really led me to where I am today. And it's that perspective I want to try to apply and those disciplines and those habits and that approach I want to try to apply to the study of the Holy Spirit. We are in episode four of what hopefully will be a year-long study on the Holy Spirit called Growing Up, Learning to Live in the Power of the Spirit. And we've done some introductory episodes and some I try to share some motivations of why I believe the Spirit has led me to teach on this for this year. And in this episode, what I want to try to do is give you the master plan, meaning I have, at least in my mind, the next 12 months planned out. And I'm not sure if it's going to grow. I'm not sure if I'm going to walk into something and do some more study and realize, nope, that's a little bit off. So what I want to do is I just want to give you an idea of where we're going, what my theories are, and then let's study it together for the next 12 months and see if it stands up under the weight of scrutiny. So I've broken it into 12 different parts. Each of them, it's a nice biblical number. I'm a sucker for, for nice biblical numbers. 12 equal parts of about four weeks each. And so we've done the first four, which was the introduction. So that's, you know, that's zero. Okay, really it's 13 sections because that's how you break up a year and a four weeks each. But 13 is not a biblical number. 
So it's 12 plus an introduction. So starting next week, we're going to spend four weeks on a subject, and then we're going to move to another subject for four weeks, and then another subject for four weeks, and that will hopefully get us through the end of this year. And so let me give you what each of those 12 subjects will be, why I think it's important, and my theories of how I believe we can be filled with the Spirit on a practical level. And then let's reference these at the end of the year and see how they've grown, if they've changed, if they've stood up under the test. For instance, when I started really keying in on this subject, the, the first iteration of the title I was going to use was called Power Up. Instead of growing up, I was going to use power up. Because remember, I'm using my boys as the target audience. How do I teach my boys about the power of the spirit? And so my first thought was, okay, they all know video games. So I was going to use like the mushroom from Super Mario Brothers that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when, you know, Mario gets the mushroom, he gets big. But as I began to study, even just a couple of weeks in, I didn't want to convey this idea of instantaneous magical growth that if you find out these secret things you're just going to get this baptism of the holy spirit and you are going to be a superhero you know or that it's instantaneous or that you get magical powers if you are filled with the holy spirit because that's kind of what i thought and i think it's a false promise so even though it's not as punchy i want to use the phrase and i'm using the phrase growing up because i don't believe that the the working in the power and the person of the Holy Spirit is some magical mushroom for us to consume and gain superpowers. Actually, I think it's just a natural part of us growing up in the faith. And we can't fully say that we are mature and grown up in Christ until we are walking in the power of the Spirit. So I'm tapping into a deeper longing for all of my boys that they want to grow up. Every kid wants to grow up. And so this is how you grow up in Christ, by learning to live and walk in the power of the Spirit. So I'm giving you these ideas now so that we can look back and see how they've changed over the next 12 months. So part one, which we're going to start next week, is going to be a four-part series on, or mini-series on just the spiritual reality around us. Again, I, my boys have all made a decision to follow Jesus, and they love Jesus, and they're reading the Bible, and you know, they're they're... They're beginning to walk in their faith, but I want to approach it like ground zero. I, I don't want this to be throwing them off the deep end of the pool. I want it to be a zero entry pool. So we're going to start just by trying to lay the foundation of, hey, there is a spiritual reality out there. There is a hidden world out there. There is more than what we can see and touch and hear. And I think that's something that all of us could benefit from because... Many times we neglect our spiritual lives because we can't see it. So that's going to be the first section. Part two is going to be my attempt to try to just give my boys as much motivation to want, to actually want the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, Jesus is blatant with his rewards. Do this and you'll be you know, and great is your reward in heaven. Do this. I mean, Jesus knows how to motivate people. He knows that there's a part of human nature that's going to ask, rightly or wrongly, what's in it for me? So I want to help my boys understand what's in it for them to go on this quest with me, rather than just humor their old man. Why should they want to be 
filled with the Spirit? Why should they want to learn how to walk in the power of the Spirit? So I'm going to try to lay out those rewards. And again, all of this is under the, the, the direction of forensic exegesis, meaning I'm, I'm not going to make up stuff that I think is good. I want to, I want to try to teach the way that Jesus taught his disciples about why they should want to walk in the power of the Spirit. Section uh, part three is now that they want it, I'm going to throw up the roadblocks. What are our adversaries? It's going to be a four-part, really just a recap of the unholy trinity, the world, the flesh, and the devil. I've taught about this at length before. You can go back in earlier episodes of this podcast and listen to it. But there are reasons why Christians are not walking in the power of the Spirit. There is an unholy trinity of the world, the flesh, and the devil that are actively conspiring to keep us from living out the potential we have in the spirit. And unfortunately, they are far too successful. So I want to give them a heads up. And then after those three, again, more kind of foundational um, sections, we're going to go into seven habits, seven disciplines. Again, I'm not, seven practices. I'm not exactly sure how I'm going to launch it to them yet. But I get this from, this the, the seven from, Luke chapter 4, which is going to be a deep dive. If you want to go ahead and start reading that, it's a fascinating just capsule of the earliest years of Jesus's ministry. It's from his baptism till, um, you know, the first couple of months he was rejected at Nazareth. And you see him at the beginning of Luke 4 go into this, the desert and then come out of the wilderness or out of the desert in the power of the Spirit. And then he does stuff in the power of the Spirit. And so these seven really come from just really studying Luke chapter four for about two years now. What are some practices that we see Jesus doing and how are they connected to the spirit? So at first, again, it's already changed. At first, I was going to teach on all these equally, but the more I've studied, and this is where I am now, let's see where, where I am 12 months from now. I think that there's actually two. So there's two primary ones, and each of those two have two others that kind of support it, almost like secondary habits. And then there's like a there's a seventh one that's I'm going to call that like the boss level. But really, there's two. And I get this back from John chapter 15, which I believe, if you had to pin me down to the most important teaching that Jesus ever gave, even though it's all important because it's all Jesus, I would say it's John chapter 15, verses one through I think 17. When Jesus talks about, I'm the vine and you are the branches, if you remain in me and I remain in you. It's that whole teaching, which is broken up into two main sections. And I think those two main sections are what we also see in Luke 4. And it's him teaching his disciples what he's been practicing for three years at this point. And I think if you want to boil it down to its very core of how to be filled and walk in the power of the Spirit, as crazy as it sounds, I think it's two things. Feed your spirit with the words of Jesus. That's number one. And number two, serve others in love. Now, I'm going to give you all the reasoning and all the research that I've done about where I think this comes from Jesus and from the Gospels. But those are the two primary things. So that's why I'm going to try to teach my boys, if nothing else, at the end of this year, if my boys can remember and walk in life saying, if I want to be filled in the spirit, I need to feed my spirit with the words of Jesus and I need to serve others in love. 
then that will be a win. And I've already explained this to my eighth grader. And it was one of those, it was fascinating because it's super easy to understand, very difficult to master. We talked about, he, I mean, he immediately understood those two things. And I explained where I found them, which I'm going to be explaining through this podcast. But then we talked about how hard it is to actually constantly feed your spirit with the words of Jesus because there's so many other things we feed ourselves with. And how hard it, how hard it is to actually serve others in love. Like I gave him some practical examples of what that could mean for how he could serve his brothers and his sister in love. And then things got a little more difficult because, you know, that's not natural for him. So part three is going to be laying out this first primary uh, discipline of how to be filled with the Spirit that I'm going to lay out from Luke 4 and from John 15. The words of Jesus, how to feed our spirit with the words of Jesus. The next two are going to be the two supporting habits that we see in Jesus from Luke chapter 4, really when he went into the wilderness to do battle with the devil. The next two supporting uh, habits are silence and solitude, and then fasting and self-denial. So those are habits. Those are secondary habits that fasting and self-denial and silence and solitude help us better feed our spirits with the word of Jesus. After that, those three parts, those three sections, I'm going to move to the next, the second primary habit, and that's serving others in love. I'm going to show them where we see that in John 15. I'm going to show them where we see that in Luke chapter 4. And then I'm going to have two more supporting habits. Fellowship and community. We see that in Luke 4 and also in John 15. And gospel, sharing the gospel. We see that in Luke 4 and we see that in John 15. And then the seventh habit is, it's the bonus level. It's the boss level. It's one that you can't seek. But if you do all six of those, you will absolutely learn how to practice the seventh. And that's suffering. How does suffering help us actually walk in the Spirit? So again, let me just say from the beginning, these seven, at least at this point, when I'm kind of, this is, this is the, the thesis that I'm walking into this year with, this isn't coming from a book I read or a sermon I listened to. This is my study, my attempt at forensic exegesis of the Scriptures, really for about two, two and a half years now, of what it means to to live like the earliest church. And that means that we have to be filled with the Spirit like the earliest church. And how do you do that? So these come from Scripture. And I want to see if over this next year, I can build my case in a way that convinces you in the same way that it's convinced me. So those are the seven habits. One more time. The words of Jesus, silence and solitude, fasting and self-denial, serving others in love, fellowship and community, gospel, and suffering. And we got two sections left. The last one is the, the or the second to last one is going to be just my encourage encouragement to them, encouragement to you. You know, that growing up takes time. Sometimes you take two steps forward and one step back. I want to try to give them grace. I want to just try to just encourage them to endure and persevere in this faith. And then the last, the final one are going to be my final thoughts, and it'll be more directed towards this podcast. What have I learned? How have I grown over the past year? So that's the master plan. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, or this podcast, should you choose to listen to it, that's where we're going to go. And so next week, 
we're going to start with that first part. I'm going to try to explain to my boys in a way that they understand that we truly live in a, in, in a hidden world, that there is a spiritual reality all around us that we cannot see but absolutely affects us every day. Along the way, if you have questions or comments or different interpretations, you know, I see this verse this way, you explain it this way, but I, you know, there's a pastor I respect and he said it is actually this about this verse. At any point, please give me feedback. Let's try to make this a conversation. You can reach out to me on social media and let's make this conversation and let's see if we can grow in the spirit together. Thanks. Thanks.